Welcome to Disclosure, a brand new radio offering from the good folks at The Voice of Prophecy. This is a radio show that's actually been on the air now since 1929, and that's a pretty long time. My name is Sean Boonstra. I'm your host. Now, obviously, I haven't been on the air since 1929. And if that's not obvious, because this is radio and you can't see me, let me assure you, I don't go back to 1929. I didn't even exist for another 40 years. But the Voice of Prophecy might actually be the longest-running faith-based broadcast in America today. Maybe even the world. And Disclosure is our newest offering. It is just days old. The paint's not even dry on this show. But I'm really excited about some of the things we're going to be able to offer you. In particular, I'm really excited about our program today because we're going to be meeting somebody pretty special. Some years ago, I met a remarkable man whose story has inspired countless thousands of people all over the country and around the world. A a man who was, well, essentially written off by some educators when he was just a little kid, but he eventually went on to move in some of the highest circles of power in America. Dr. Terry Johnson hails from the beautiful state of Oregon, and I am really excited that I think we have got him on the phone right now. Terry, are you there? I am here, Sean. It is just fantastic to be here, and I'm just thrilled about this program. Yeah, I, I kind of am thrilled, too. You know, until the board calls and says I'm fired, I'm going to be thrilled about this as long <laughs> as this show keeps going. <laughs> hey, Terry, you're in Oregon, right? I, I, is, is the Rain Festival still on over there? It is on full force. In fact, the funny thing here in Oregon, since I've been gone for around around 20-something years, I forgot that a true Oregonian does not carry an umbrella. Right. That's how you can tell who's from here and who's not. And so I'm trying to break into that culture all over again. <laughs> yeah, because it really is, it's kind of a drizzle there in Oregon, isn't it? But it's a, a steady drizzle that goes on all year instead of <laughs> Southern California where you get 18 inches in half an hour in <laughs> January. <laughs> yeah. In Oregon, we used to say, you know, you don't tan in Oregon. I'm from the Pacific Northwest. You don't tan there. Everybody just rusts. That's what they... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hey, Terry, I want to cut right to the chase. You have lived one of the most amazing lives I've ever heard of. I've been deeply inspired by what God has done in your life. You've got a professional career that's very successful. You've had a successful academic career. You've touched the lives of thousands of people. And so I'm assuming that if we go way back in history, we're going to discover that you were the golden boy in elementary school, the kid everybody knew was going to make something out of himself. Well, actually, I probably was more of God's force gump. Look at my life. <laughs> it's more of that than, than anything. Trust, trust me, I look back and I'm just, I'm amazed at what God was able to do throughout the years. Well, tell me about it, because I, I think I want to start at the beginning of your story and have you lead our listeners into some of the amazing things that God has worked in your life. So let's go back to your childhood and, and uh, start us down the path to the amazing things that God did for you. Yeah, it started quite early. I'm going to go back a little even farther. My parents are around seven generations Louisianans, and um, my um, dad had served in World War II. Okay. And since he spoke a little bit of French, um, he was stationed in France, and, um, and, and then when the war had ended, they were coming back. Eventually, the ship was going to make its way over to the uh, uh, port of New Orleans, but they went the long route, and to make a long story short, they had to stop in a place called Portland, Oregon, uh, for some boat repairs. Wow. And my dad, coming from the flat bayou country, 
driving uh, the, the boat coming up the Columbia River had seen stuff that he could not even explain. Basically, it was 80 degrees out on the deck, but he's seen snow-capped mountains all around him, and he just couldn't even understand that. But the one thing that he looked at one of his buddies and said, you know what, if I ever get a family, one day I want to come back here and show them this place. Oh, so really, you're living your dad's dream by being in Oregon. It is just absolutely amazing how that whole thing just came about, and that's exactly right. Okay, so Oregon was originally home. You're back in sort of home country then. I'm back in home country after I've been gone for almost um, 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 twenty, well over 20-something years. Um, I'm back where it all started at. Okay, and tell me how that started. Well, um, it, it was just amazing because... Um, uh, mom had, and this ties into the story, that um, uh, mom had, uh, they were living in Baton Rouge at that time, and they had, mom, mom and dad had gotten married, and they, they were living in Baton Rouge. They had uh, four, four, five kids at the time. Wow. And, and mom was catching the city bus, and a lady uh, um, was on the bus, but she was dressed a little bit differently, a little bit warmer clothes, and mom, you know, in, in Louisiana, there, she was, that's, you know, that's winter clothes. Yeah. And the lady said, oh, yes, I'm just here visiting my mom, and I'm going back to Portland, Oregon. Wow. And then my mom thought, hey, that's where my, um, my husband always talks about that. And so she says, well, if y'all would ever like to come and visit or even live there, they have no uh, opportunity for kids to go to school. And she went on and on, especially for uh, people of color, uh, which was very difficult you know, um, um, in the South at that time. Sure, yeah. In the 40s. And so uh, mom just said, you know what, I'm going to tell my husband and took down the lady's information. And do you know that um, four weeks later, my mom got on a bus, not knowing a soul, uh, left my, uh, the, uh, my brothers and sisters with my father, and she went to Portland to go, to, to go explore this place. Wow. So she had a little courage in her soul. A little courage in her soul. And she uh, um, loved it. She had gotten a job within um, two weeks of being here, got a, a house, rented a house out, and even had bought a car by the third week. And then she sent word back for Dad to bring the kids, that the place was all set to go. And he was, what? You were just going to go and look and meet, meet your new friend. <laughs> now, and if so, anybody listening has not been to the Pacific Northwest, I do understand this. Once you've seen it, you know you have to live there. It's one of those, and especially if you hit it here in the summertime, you're yeah. like, oh, this is paradise. Yeah, on the two days it doesn't rain, right. That's, <laughs> and so that's how we ended up in Portland, my family at least. Um, and so um, uh, they had five kids, like I said, already, and this was the early, early 50s by this time. And um, what had basically happened is that literally – when mom was almost 40 years old, uh, she felt she had a cold and went to the doctor. And the doctor just basically said, um, I hate to tell you this, but you don't have a cold, but you are actually pregnant. Wow. And mom was, what? My, my youngest is almost 15. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, no. That's not what. Yeah, that's one of those surprise, surprise announcements. That's <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah. So there I came along. And a uh, 15-year difference between myself wow. and the next youngest. Same mom, same dad. And I was the first in, like I said, six generations born outside of the state of Louisiana. Okay. And I was born right here in Portland. And um, one of the things, uh, um, Sean, with me is that um, I was always just an energetic kid. I loved life. 
Uh, my brothers and sisters were more like aunts and uncles to me and spoiled me to death. I've uh, been this you know, little baby baby and all this stuff. And um, um, what kind of started to come together a little bit is that when it came time to learning to read, um, I was struggling just a little bit. Sure. And they couldn't, you know, they thought, well, in those days, you know, they would just call, uh, classify you as a slow learner. or, And so that's what they kind of just said, well, he's just a slow learner and just, you know, um, just, just keep him going. And to make a long story short, um, by the time I had gotten to the second grade, um, all I can remember is this, is that um, uh, the teacher had divided the class into three sections because this poor teacher, due to budget cuts, she went from teaching a class of 19 second graders to a class of almost 50-something by herself. 50 kids. 50 50 kids. kids. I I hear people today complaining if it gets to 30 kids, but 50, I can't even imagine that. So you're in a class of... imagine that? No, no, I can't. 50. Second graders. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And and they basically told her, well, you know, we laid off many teachers, and if you don't like it, we'll hire someone to take your place. Wow. And so that's what she just did the best that she could do, and that was basically divide this class into three sections. Uh, the first section was for kids who could learn very fast, and there was a middle section that she would work with those kids, kids a little bit longer, and then there was a third section where kids who she really had, to, if she even got time to get back there. Wow. And um, I started off on the front row. I was energetic. I loved to talk. I loved people, and, I'm, um, and my, it was just, just perfect. And um, one of the things that stood out, I'll never forget this, is that she was writing something on the chalkboard, and she turned around and said, I need someone to come up here and to write their ABCs. And I remember just thinking in my mind, Sean, don't let her pick me. Please don't let her pick me. No, I, I had that thought a lot in school. It's actually, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm bumping up against 50 years of age here soon, and I still have that thought when I'm sitting in a class. <laughs> you know. And you know what happens when you think that. Yeah, no, no, you're, you. you're, you're asking for it. <laughs> And I was the one she picked, and she had me come up and um, uh, att- attempt at least to write my ABCs on the chalkboard. And the first sign that something was different is that I wrote my A okay, but when I wrote my B, I wrote it backwards, and all the kids started laughing. Oh, no. And the kids thought I was doing this on purpose to be funny. Uh, then I wrote my C backwards, and they really started to laugh. And that teacher, a light bulb went off in her head, and she started thinking, this is making sense. He never has his reading assignments done. Every time, there's, uh, every time there's reading circles and we have to go around and read, he always has to go to the bathroom and he doesn't uh, come back for a half hour. And she just put it all together that this little kid had been faking it. Wow. And so um, I went from the front row to the back row. Oh, wow. Eventually to the corner in the classroom. Because everything she tried and to do and just just didn't work. Um, uh, she just could not get me to read, and she discovered that I neither could I write. I could I could neither read nor write, and I, and so she just didn't know what to do. And so in her frustration, she ended up um, getting a hold of the uh, school counselor, who arranged for me to meet with the school psychologist. Okay. And I had around three weeks of meetings with the psychologist. At the end of the three weeks, he basically said, "You're a smart kid. What are you?" Because, Sean, one of the things that never made sense is that as a small kid, instead of watching cartoons, I would love to watch the news. Wow. I was just, just I loved the news, traveling the world, seeing the pictures. In fact, it was such an amazing thing is that um, 
my pastor at my church could call me up front in front of the whole sanctuary audience and just basically say, Terry, tell us why there's a sugar crisis. And I would remember You're from kidding. the news, and I would tell wow. him exactly. Um, Terry, why will, why will this president not be elected again, you think? I could explain Watergate as a little second grader. Perfectly. Unbelievable. But when it came to reading and writing, and so that's why when this psychologist um, um, met, met, he said, man, you're one of the smartest kids. I, just say your ABCs and you get out of here. You and the teachers just apparently have a conflict. You probably just, you two just don't get along. I'll get you in another classroom. Wow. And I could not get past my uh, ABCs again. And so he basically wrote a letter to my mom, uh, who still has the letter today, that basically says that Terry L. Johnson, that's me, is mentally incompetent. He will never be able to learn past the third grade. Our suggestion is to take him out of the school system and to place him in a school for kids with severe disabilities. Hopefully by the age of 18, he will learn a steel art trade and be able to fit back into society. Oh, wow. I'm the superintendent of the city of Portland. Wow. Terry, we're, we're right up against a break, and I know you didn't stay at the back of the classroom, and I know that that assessment didn't tie you down for life. Um, I, I'm looking forward to hearing how this story unfolds, and I know that our listeners are. But we're right up against a break, so we're going to take a short break, And in just moments, we'll be back with Dr. Terry Johnson and one of the most remarkable stories you'll ever hear. Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions like, where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers and guides like, Does My Life Really Matter to God? and a second chance at life. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. And we are back from the break. You're listening to Disclosure, a new radio program from the folks at The Voice of Prophecy. My name is Sean Boonstra, and I've been talking to Dr. Terry Johnson, who's on the phone in Portland, Oregon. And uh, just before the break, Terry, we had discovered that as a child, you had been moved from the front of the classroom where all the brightest and best kids were, and you were bright and active and engaged, but they started to discover you were struggling with reading, and they moved you to the back of the class, and you got an unfortunate assessment from the school psychologist saying that you weren't going to amount to much, and hopefully they could teach you to do something practical by the time you were 18. And that's where I want to pick up the story. Yes, and um, and it's amazing because um, I, I just love that my mom kept all these letters and all this stuff, so um, I can just always look, you know, look at it and just remind, you know, Remind, be reminded how good God was and just you know how the blessings is in my life. And maybe there's someone um, listening right now that, um, um, that your child is in a situation or maybe you're facing a situation that seems impossible. And I just want you to hang in there because um, um, you know, God does definitely 
have a way, and that's what happened to me next. Okay. It was definitely a God's way um, that brought it all together. Okay, so mom, you're indicating had a role. Tell me what happens next, because I know God did it, but he used a number of people in your life. Yes. Um, um, once I was classified um, as unlearnable, um, that um, I was, the only way I can just make it practical to a person is that I was pretty much banned from school systems, from public school systems. Uh, because they had did their assessment, and um, and especially uh, with dealing with cost and students and all that, and that was just uh, they had an alternative place where you could go to, so it wasn't like they're saying you couldn't be educated. And so, but mom just uh, um, in our hearts just didn't feel uh, that what they were trying to do and the place me at that just was not a place. And it was so funny, uh, Sean, because years later the place was closed down. Um, 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 the movie. Uh, um, uh, I, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the equivalent. It was the exact same people who ran that facility who ran the juvenile facility. Oh, really? Yes. And that place, as you know, that was closed down here yeah, in the yeah. state of Oregon. Right. So, on the movie, and then um, this was a juvenile attached to that. And so I just thank God so much that Mom didn't listen to them. Right. And so what Mom did instead of giving up, I like to tell people she started to look up, and Mom got out her. Um, piece of paper, and she got out the phone book, um, um, and she went through, and she made a list of all the schools that she could find in this phone book. Wow. And it was over a hundred and something schools, and Mom still has that piece of paper. She saved all and this she, stuff, really? Yes. I'm just, just amazed. All in our family Bible. Wow. And um, she wrote all these schools down, and she wrote the phone numbers next to them, and so then um, during that summer, Mom would uh, call the different schools up. She would try to get through that list. And with the goal of, by the end of the summer, having one of those schools to say yes. And she would call them up, and she would talk to them and tell the story. And a lot of times they would say, oh, yeah, if you're willing to move to our school district, um, we have no problem. And then they would ask her always the same question. Just tell us now, just why can't he go back to his old school? And then mom would explain what the psychologist had said and what the superintendent they said. They would say the superintendent. Do you understand that's my boss's boss's boss? Oh, wow. So, okay. And they would just hang a phone up on her. So they're highly disincentivized to help. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and mom would draw a line through that uh, school and do the next one. Unbelievable. And she just kept doing that all summer long. And Sean, what stood out the most to me is about that summer is that mom would pray over me. And I will never forget that as long as I live. She would lay her hands on me and pray. And she would always quote Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Or I know the plans I have for you. And she would say that and, and, and just really just, just pray. And what had also made matters a little bit worse is just a, a year or so before this that my dad had uh, come down with lung cancer. Oh, no. And he unfortunately had passed away um, oh. when, I was, uh, when I was seven. And so it was just my mom and myself, and because my brothers and sisters, they were all older. Many of them had their own family by that time. And so um, you had mom trying to do this you know, all on her own as a widowed, uh, as a, um, widowed mother uh, with this one little small kid. And mom just went through that list, Sean, and every single school told her no. Well, do you, every do, single one. Do you know what I find amazing about this is that really as your mom begins praying, it's almost like the world is getting worse instead of better out of the gate, but she doesn't give up. I mean, she loses her husband, you lose your dad, and it's just getting worse as the moments go on, and a lot of people just give up. That's the whole thing right there. And that's, 
I tell people that the amazing story is not mine. It's really my mom. That's the amazing story. Right. Right. Well, okay, so mom's praying, and she's working her list uh, down this list of schools. They're all saying, no, you've lost your dad, and it's getting darker by the minute instead of brighter. How does it play out? Well, what eventually happens, mom is speaking with a neighbor, and a neighbor had told her about a little school called Columbia Christian, a little non-denominational school um, here in Portland. And the neighbor said, I don't know if they're even still there. My kids went there years ago. And so mom got out the phone book once again. She looked up to school and, uh, and, and was there, made an appointment with the principal. And so mom goes over to the school and she uh, meets with the principal, tells the whole story. And the principal hears everything. He says, well, ma'am, you know what? We're a little small school. And um, I could never ask the teacher to take that much time with one student because all of our teachers are, are, are teaching almost two or three grades by themselves. And so he said, at least let me pray with you. And mom was so happy that he at least took time, one, to hear her, and second, to pray with her. And so they literally got on their knees, and they prayed. And the most amazing thing, like I like to call it the miracle of miracles, is that the principal did something that years later, when I had a chance to talk with him, he said, I have never done this in my 37 years of being a principal. And that is that when I was in a private conversation uh, very, uh, I would always close the door, or, or if I felt uncomfortable, I had my secretary come in. Sure, but I would never just leave the door open. And for whatever reason, I left that door open when you, I was meeting with your mom. And as a result, Sean, of him leaving that door open, a teacher walked in that was going to ask the principal a question. And so, since the door was open, she didn't think it was that big deal. So she stayed there during the whole prayer, no heard kidding. everything, and then my mom walked by her and smiled. And that teacher went up to the principal and simply asked the principal this one question, what grade would that little fella be in? And wow. the principal said, who are you talking about? The lady who was just here. And he said, I don't know, the second grade again. And she said, let me have him. That's wow. my class this year. Now you, you think about this. You know, the, the odds, when he normally closes the door, the odds that it's left open by accident are really small. I've often wondered, Terry, in the far reaches of eternity, when we're finally all safely home, uh, and all the books of heaven are open. You know, we see that scenario in the Bible a number of times. What are we going to find out? Which angels were on duty in that school, making sure nobody closed the door and, and, and prompting that teacher to get up out of her chair at that moment and walk past the principal's office? So I, I'm just telling you, it's just that's how we know God is in control, even though it doesn't seem like it sometimes, but I'm telling you. <laughs> exactly. So she asks what grade you would be in. And he and he said, uh, no, the second grade, I don't think that, uh, you know, I think he would have to do that over again. And that's, and then I'm going to forget, he said, you can't take it. You're, you're full. Your class, you're already doing two classes. You can't. And she said, I just get a good feeling about that little fella. Let me have him. And then she made a deal with the principal, and I love that she never let me forget that. She made a deal with the principal and said, I'll let you have him, um, let me have him for six months. And if he can't learn to read in six months, then you can take him, and we can get him out of here. But at least we can say we tried. And, Sean, um, I'll never forget that very first day of class. Um, um, she's you know, doing some stuff up front, and all of right. a sudden you could hear this noise, and it was me. I had my desk, and I was pulling it to the corner. Oh, where you're used to being. Where I used to be. In my mind, I couldn't sit with the regular kids. I always sit in the back by myself. Wow. And she walked over to me and said, son, what do you think you're doing? And I said, well, I'm sitting in the back. I always sit in the back. And I will never forget this. She said, well, not in my class. She picked up my desk, 
<laughs> the front row, sat it down, said, you sit right here. Wow. And she sat down and sat me down. I thought, wow, I love this lady. She's the nicest lady in the world. <laughs> she gave the rest of the kids their assignment. And then afterwards, she uh, came back to me with nothing but her Bible and a chair. And she sat next to me and said, all right, we're going to work on your reading right now. Wow. With a Bible. With a Bible. Okay. And with a, a King James Bible to make it even more complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly, that's not exactly known to be a second grade reading level. I think that's, that's up exactly. somewhere around 10 or 12 or college. <laughs> yeah. She set that Bible down and says, all right, we're going to work on your reading. And I'll never forget, she uh, uh, says, all right, now what does a letter look like? I'm not asking you to read it. Uh, I'm just asking you to tell me what does a letter look like. And I looked at her and I said, I can't read. She says, what did you just say? And I said, I can't read. She says, do you believe in God? I said, yes. Well, I better never hear the word can't, don't quit. If I hear any of those words in my class again, you're going to get it. Oh. <laughs> All I'm asking you to do is to try. Yeah. What does the letter look like? Yeah. And um, once again, I said, I can't. She says, wait right here. I know. It. I, I, I have the cure. And I'm thinking, Sean, she's coming back with some glasses or maybe a magnifying glass. I'm, so, no, I'm thinking, this is just the coolest teacher in the world. Well, she came back okay, but it wasn't with a glasses. It wasn't with a magnifying glass. It was with a 12-inch ruler. Uh-oh, uh-oh. I'm old enough to know what that means, You're old enough to know. <laughs> I was going to say, some of us older ones out there, we remember what that meant. Yeah, yeah, I know what that means. I, I mean, I've heard what that means. Not that I ever, well, no, I actually know what that means. <laughs> She set that ruler right next to the Bible and says, if you say one more negative word without trying, if I hear the word don't, can't, quit, any of those words again, you're going to get it. Now, what does that letter look like? And once again, I'm thinking, surely she's not going to hit me. <laughs> and so I said, I can't read. And yeah. she took that ruler, Sean, and whack right on my hand. And all I can tell you is from then on, I thought she was the meanest lady in the world. <laughs> and I hated that lady from that moment on, to be honest. Uh, yeah, for sure. No, I, I, I can think of some teachers that whacked me, and I, um, they're still not in my favorite books. <laughs> Every recess, she would uh, the kids could play for 30 minutes. I had to stay in the classroom with her, with her Bible, and with her ruler for 15 minutes, and we would go over reading. Every day after school, where the buses could line up and the kids could play on the playground, well, I was in the classroom with her until the bus was ready to pull out. She would have her Bible and her ruler day after day after day. And all I can tell you, Sean, is in six months, to everyone's amazement, Terry Johnson was reading Amazing. time in his life. Amazing. Now, let's look at that story carefully, because we're about to go off the air on some stations, Terry. But... Um, but if I look at this carefully, even though your family's going through some of the darkest moments, uh, God is still presiding over it. He's overruling decisions that people make. He overrules yeah. a psychologist that writes you off as a little guy and says, not, not going to make it. Let's hope we can find something. Maybe he can sweep up sawdust or something when he's 18 and, and, and do something like that. To your mother in a principal's office, and he's praying, and the angels have the door propped open, and a godly woman, now, you know, the methods were different in those days, and I know that younger viewers, or listeners rather, uh, aren't thinking about getting hit by a ruler, but I remember those days, and, uh, and it did happen. 
Uh, Terry, what we're going to do now is we're going to go off the air in some markets, but listeners can continue to listen. In some places, it'll continue right after a break, and we'll continue with the story of Dr. Terry Johnson, who learned to read because a godly woman wouldn't give up on him, and he learned to read by reading the scriptures. Uh, If your station doesn't carry this after the break, you can go to voiceofprophecy.com and look for the interview with Dr. Terry Johnson and the show notes that go with that, and uh, you'll be able to pick up the rest of this story. Unfortunately, in some markets, we're going to sign off until next week. This is Sean Boonster with Disclosure, the new radio program from The Voice of Prophecy. You'll hear from us again when we're together. Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if your life has lost its meaning? Just moving from one task to another without any answers to the really important questions in life? Like, is it possible to have a fresh start and to find real happiness? Well, the Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for to this and to all of life's big questions. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. You can choose to study in the format that's most convenient for you. You may either do the lessons completely online or have them mailed right to your home. Both options are completely free of charge. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Okay, we are in the back half of Disclosure, the second half of the show, which is uh, carried on a number of stations and also webcast at voiceofprophecy.com. And I know many of you were listening to the first half where we were talking with Dr. Terry Johnson, who's on the phone in Oregon. And we were looking at his story, where as a young man, he was told that he was unable to learn. The school psychologist assessed him as um, not uh, capable of education and had written him off. He had a godly mother who took him around to every school she could think of. She went through more than a hundred schools until she found a Christian academy where, as the principal was praying with her for her little boy, a teacher walked by the open door and heard there was a boy in need and took him into her class and taught him in an old school fashion to read by taking out a King James Bible and any time he didn't comply or cooperate, He got what many of us got as little children, the ruler. And uh, six months later, just before the break, six months later, Terry Johnson was reading. Terry, I'm dying to know, and I know everyone else is dying to know, what happens next? Because that's quite a while ago, and God had more in store for you yet. Yeah, and that was just how God had just literally just did a miracle for me. And um, there's a quote, a passage, I just loosely quote, and it just says, Now many times we fear the future because we forget how good God has been in the past. Right, yeah. And I'll be honest with you, by the time I had gotten to high school, I was not that little boy who, um, you know, seen the miracles of God, you know, just different things. And and I I was just pretty much... um, um, just doing it on my own by the time I got to high school. School was still hard for me. I, I struggled. I uh, was no, I had I had to work extra hard to read and to learn and do my work, but I was no I was getting through. Right. But I had taken the God factor out of it. And so when I was in high school it was just, you know, hanging out with my buddies, playing sports and 
stuff like that um, was just the thing I was no into. I played hockey and just, just, just oh, you played things. hockey. You know, I'm a Canadian, and so now you my, <laughs> yeah, my attention is riveted, especially on the story. I didn't know Terry Johnson was a hockey player. Oh man, I'm t- we're close. In, we're close enough to the Canadian border. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so but you're doing the usual guy stuff in high school. And kind of forgetting, or maybe, you know, not cognizant entirely of what God had done for your mother and in your life at that point. Yeah, I was just, you know, it was all about me. I know I wanted to make enough to, uh, to get my first car and worked hard to get that and just all about me. Um, and that's the only way I can point it out. And then um, um, I just was hanging out with the wrong wrong people in high school and just you know, the list goes on and on. Um, um, but the thing that made a difference for me in high school was a teacher and um, his name was Floyd Matula. And what was interesting about Floyd Matula, um, um, an older teacher um, towards, um, you know, towards the end of, of his teaching career. And there was another teacher by the name of Mrs. Uh, Winters, Thelma Winters. And the two of them, I really believe that God brought into my life. Uh, Floyd Matula was the Bible teacher. Okay. And he always believed in me. And that was the only way I can say it, that I would be out partying at night, and, and then we would have what we call church seminars, where we would go and visit different churches and do different things. And Floyd was always insisting that I'd be part of that program. So he because saw something time, there. He saw something there. He saw something there. heard God prompting him to, to pay attention to you. It was just amazing. And I, as I look back at it now, there were times, and how he would do it is that I would, um, you know, because me being the one of the uh, popular kids in class and all that. I didn't want to go and do this Bible stuff. But my grades were so low in Bible class that Floyd was smart enough to say, now, you know, if you want extra points in order to be able to pass you know, this semester, yep. you better come you, uh, be part of this program. And, but he saw that potential in me, and he just kept believing in me. And then there was another teacher, um, my English teacher. And what was unique is that Thelma Winters, had already retired three times. They called her back out of retirement at age 70 to come and teach. Wow. And I ended up in her English class, and Thelma just worked me, worked me. She would never let me give up. And once again, I thought Thelma was one of the meanest ladies in the world at the time. (laughs) I'm sensing a theme here. I'm sensing a (laughs) theme. But she would never let me uh, make excuses up. And, um, and it was just amazing how God just started literally working on my life. And, Sean, what really turned everything around is that um, I, um, I had gone, there was a week of prayer at my home church, and there was a speaker who was now the uh, chaplain of the Senate, Barry Black. He was on. Um, no kidding. But the ba- one, was the a, Barry was Black. The Navy wow. at the time. <laughs> And he was a week of prayer speaker at our little church um, here in Portland. Wow. And my mom wanted me to come hear him. And, um, and I, you know, and I would always promise, no, all right, Mom, I'm going to come. I'm going to come. And, I, and he was only going to be there for, um, you know, for a week, a Monday through Friday. Uh, and I just, well, he started on a Sunday night, a Sunday night through Friday. And I would always say, oh, I'm going to come, I'm going to come. And I, you know, I, I, I always had this special relationship with my mom. Didn't want to disappoint her. And so I would say, you know, Mom, I'm really going to come. And I remember Tuesday. I saw me that night. I didn't show up. And so Wednesday at breakfast, Terry, you promised me. I said, no, Mom, I promise you I'm coming. And I would know. But some reason in her heart, she just really felt uh, that 
um, I needed to hear the message that he was sharing. And he was you know, really speaking to uh, young people, and I just, I just kept making excuses up. And finally it got down to Thursday, and my mom said, Terry, he's only here one more night, and I haven't asked you to do many things for me, and all I'm asking you to do is to come and to hear him speak. Right. And so I said, okay, Mom, I'll come Friday night. I promise you I'll come. And Friday morning, I'm with my friends in the cafeteria, and then they start talking about this party. One of our classmates was going to throw the senior party at their house because their parents were going to be gone. And, Sean, I'm not making any of this up. It was the exact same night as Barry Black. I had just promised my mother that I would be there. And I remember telling my friends, and they said, Terry, man, um, you've got to come. You cannot miss this thing. And so one of my friends, he said, you know what? I have an idea. Why don't we do this? You go to the program. You sit next to your mother, and then you say that you want to go to the balcony because all the kids at our church, we would sit <laughs> up in the balcony. And we will come and get you out of the balcony, and you can slip out. And that way your mother would see you there. Oh, She'll think you're th- in the balcony. This is wrong on so many levels. So many levels, man. That tells you the kind of friends I hung out with. Yeah, yeah I had some of those same friends, I think. <laughs> and so that was a game plan. And I will never forget, um, I had the same girlfriend. We dated. We started dating in the eighth grade, and we dated all the way through our senior year. Um, planned on getting married, everything. And so um, she was part of the whole scheme. We're all going to go to this great big party. And so I'm there, and they were going to come and get me. I sit next to my mom. I remember I even reached over and held her hand for a little bit. Oh, Mom, this is so great. I'm so glad you had me come. And as soon as the song service is over with, I said, you know what? I'm going to go sit up in the balcony with my friends. And Mom said, I'll go on up there. (laughs) And so I go up to the balcony, and I'm waiting for my friends to come. They're late as always. So I end up hearing the entire message. Oh, wow. The entire thing. And at the very end of, uh, of Dr. Black's talk, and I remind him of this all the time now, <laughs> he had said that uh, um, um, I wanna, uh, um, there's someone here today that I believe that God's going to do something special in your life for us. So I don't know who you are, but I I'm, I'm, I'm want you to come forward. So he's making this appeal. He says, and then people are coming forward, and then he just says, you know what, I still feel there's someone else out there. And, Sean, I am not making this up. Barry Black said next. He said, I don't know who you are. Maybe you didn't even plan on being here tonight. Maybe you even plan on being at a party tonight. Oh, you're kidding me. When he said that, I mean, it was like, oh, my goodness. He is talking. Oh. And so I started thinking right then, you know what? Man, what? How much clearer do you need it? Calling me, man. So I stood up to go forward. And I, as I stood up, to that very second, my two friends walked in along with my girlfriend, which didn't make any sense. All three of them didn't have to come in. They come in and say, all right, man, come on, come on, let's go to the party. And they saw all the people walking forward down below, and they, they saw me standing kind of in the front. And I never forget, my friend looked at me and says, you weren't going to go up there, aren't, were you? I said, man, I don't know, man. He just said some stuff that really... You know, yeah. I don't know. And I'll never forget my girlfriend said, Terry, if you go up there, it's over with, with us. Oh, my goodness. That I am not going to have this holy religious guy. There's just no way in the world. And there's a holy war being fought over you at that moment. It's cosmic. And I had to make a decision. And it was probably one of the hardest decisions I made in my life. And I walked by my friends and my girlfriend of five years at that time and went forward. Wow. 
and I um and and uh, it was just you know and, and I was prayed over talked to uh, Dr. Black afterwards uh T Marshall Kelly uh you know a a singer a retired singer now but he was there doing special music and I spoke with him after it was just this absolutely amazing experience for me and that next coming Monday at school, my friends kept to their word. No one sat with me. Wow. Uh, uh, they literally stopped being my friends. Uh, girlfriend broke up with me. The whole complete works. But do you know that I met some other friends? There's a couple of people who went to that meeting. We became friends. I never thought in 100,000 years, because out of four years of high school, I wasn't friends with them, and we became friends. And I'm still friends with those guys to this yeah. very day. This is important. This is that day. important for somebody to hear. A lot of people go through that. They're wrestling. Do I follow God with my life? And uh, and they're afraid of what they're going to lose. And sometimes you do lose uh, a lot on the way in. But on the other side of it, God always has more waiting for you than you dream possible. Better friendships, better relationships, a better life. But the devil will work you over for a few minutes. Uh, you know, there'll be a dark moment where he's working you over saying, look at all you're going to lose. And he's trying to blind you to how much you're about to gain. And, Sean, you just hit it right in the head. I just think about life would have been so completely different if I would not have had um, this really made that decision to follow follow God. And I remember this is that um, my school, Sean, it was the first year of taking the SATs. Uh, at that previous to that, they had something called, in, at least in the states, second the ACT, and that determined your yep. your college grade and your standing and scholarships and all this. And here I was, my senior year, I had you know, been messing up in school and all this stuff, and not taking it seriously. And I remember that they were going to do the class rating, and so we had to take these series of tests, and then they put your name on the board, and they would tell you only you knew what number you were, and then your number would tell you your class rating. Then you can kind of guesstimate what schools you can apply to and all that. And I remember going to the board, and I had my little number in my hand. And all I can tell you is that there were 57 students in our class, 57 of us. And I remember all all my friends are looking up at their numbers, and my head is going lower and lower and lower. Oh no! And then finally, when my friends left, um, you now I act like my number was up there with them, you no. Know, uh, but I took that, that number that only I had, and I looked on the board, and out of the 57 students, I was rated number 56. Oh, boy. I had literally messed up everything. And the only reason I wasn't number 57 is that we had a special ed student that would come for an art class. And for whatever reason, they made him take this test. And so oh, no. I, I want to find that guy one of these days and hug him because I would have been 57 yeah, if it wasn't for him. I was always that way with me and the soccer team. I got picked second last, but that was only because there was actually one person worse than me. Hey, <laughs> Terry, we're right up against the break. This is the perfect moment for a cliffhanger. We've got one segment to go. Uh, and I know that what's about to happen next is absolutely mind blowing. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, but we're going to take a we're going to take a little break. I want you to make sure again that you've got your pen and paper handy because you don't want to miss this offer from the Voice of Prophecy. It will change your life in ways that well, it has been changing Terry Johnson's life. So, we're going to take a quick break. I'm visiting with Dr. Terry Johnson. The best part of the story is just around the corner. So you're going to want to stay tuned. Uh, If you pulled up to the house in your car, just leave the engine running. Don't miss this last part, and we'll be back in just a moment.
Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions like, where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers and guides like, Does My Life Really Matter to God? and A Second Chance at Life. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. We are back from our break. Terry Johnson is on the phone with me from Oregon. And just before the break, Terry, you discovered in high school that you were 56 out of 57 kids on your ACT scores. And that's not a that's not a great thing. It was just, um, and so I, I look back, and that, Sean, when it just really hit me, is that the Lord had you know, did this miracle. I was able to learn, able to read. He had put these... Uh, teachers in my life who were trying to their best to pull for me, and I had just made a mess out of my whole life. And I just remember thinking that, you know, God, um, all that stuff that you know, they had prayed about, Barry Black and this, and how is this even possible? And I'll never forget, I was in downtown Portland, and I, I had come across a little Bible pamphlet that talked about how to make God real in your life. It was just on the ground, a little, a little pamphlet. And I read that little pamphlet, and I remember just saying, you know what, I just have to be real with God. And that was what I really call my conversion experience of just really 100% being broken and knew that, that it needed to be something bigger than me outside of me to make a difference in my life. All those prayers, everything just came together in that one point. And so I just made that decision and said, no, Lord, I'm just turning this thing over to you. And I will never forget, after praying that prayer, Sean, less than seven months later, and I'm not, this is not even exaggerating, seven months later, I was working for the President of the United States. Oh, come on. Come on. And, and, I, and that's why I tell people that, that nothing's impossible with God. And let me explain just basically what happened is that um, I joined the United States Air Force. I'm thinking Air Force, airplanes, travel the world. Yeah. And I end up being stationed in Washington, D.C., and how the whole thing with the uh, Air Force Honor Guard, and I became eventually part of the uh, President's Honor Guard at the White House, how it all came about is that I originally went into the Air Force to be an assistant to a chaplain. And um, because I've had that religious experience, sure. and I will never forget, I was over at Mall 205, and that's a, a big shopping center right next door to my high school. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I had just was thinking, you know, what am, what am I going to do with my life and this and that? And as I was coming back from the mall, um, there was an Air Force recruiter set up um, in a little booth there in the mall. And I always tell people, don't stop and talk, especially if you're a senior. I stopped and started talking to this guy. And I'll never forget, he says, what do you want to do with your life? And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to go into the military. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I thought, I would just tell him yeah. something I knew that I know they wouldn't let me do. And I thought, hey, my religious experience, I'm trying to be closer to God for the first time. I'll tell him I want to be a chaplain, and there's no way in the world they would let me be a chaplain. And when I said that to the guy, he says, that's a perfect job. 
I could work this whole thing out. You can be an assistant to a chaplain. Oh, my goodness. You can be, be one of their assistants. Be careful what you say out loud. Sean, he started talking, and he said, well, you'll have a year before you have to come in. And, and the next thing I know, I end up signing my name on the dotted line and thinking I had a year before I would have to go in. They would pay me for that year. I mean, the list went on and on. To make a long story short, I received a phone call one week after graduation. It was from that recruiter. And he says, Johnson, I got some good news and I have some bad news. The good news is that the United States Air Force still wants you. The bad <laughs> news is, well, remember we told you you had a year before you had to go in? Well, the computer moved you up a little bit early. Oh, wow. And I said, what do you mean a little bit early? Six, seven months? He says, no, well, uh, try it next week. Next week? Wow. I said, sir, there is no way I'm starting school again. I just got out of school. I mean, I wouldn't mean I wouldn't even have a summer break. He says, well, you sign up. If I have to, I'll send the military police to come get you. <laughs> There's motivation. The next thing I know, I'm headed to San Antonio, Texas in the month of June. Oh. To be out marching 50 miles a day in that hot weather. <laughs> yeah. I've been there in June. It is miserable down there. Oh, and you imagine with a 50-pound backpack. Add that to your load. <laughs> yeah. And so even then, I was just thinking, oh, God, this is not making sense. Here I am trying to be, you know, the best person I can, and, and it's just not making sense. And after um, I finished basic training, that's a whole other topic, but after I finished basic training, um, never forget, they had us lined up to go on the buses uh, to our different training schools. And so I'm excited. I'm, I'm going to be headed to Colorado, your place. Yeah. And um, um, they were, um, that's where we, uh, our, we trained out of a base out of there. It was uh, Patterson Air Force Strip at the time. But we were training out of there, and that's where the chaplain's assistants train at. And the chaplain's assistants are the ones who set up the chapels, vacuum to make sure the place is straightened up for the services, and, and um, um, kind of things like that. And so, but I was excited that God was going to you know, use me in that way. And so I get on my bus to go to the airport, and instead of going to the airport, my bus makes a left there at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, and it goes deeper into the base instead of going to the airport. And it stops in front of a building that says United States Air Force Police Academy. And I'm thinking, well, this is strange. And then I started thinking, so maybe they have chaplains in the police department, and I'm going to be one of their assistants. Yeah. And I thought, man, this is going to be even greater than I thought. <laughs> So we get off the bus, and they started handing out M16 rifles. They have us line up in a line, and they get to me, and I said, no, 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 I don't need a rifle. I just need my Bible. I'm going to be one of the chaplains here. Why did I say that? Everyone started to laugh. In fact, the sergeant ran over to me. He said, son, what did you just say? I said, I'm going to be an assistant chaplain here. He started laughing. I should have known I was in trouble right there. Oh, no. So he comes back with five other sergeants and said, tell them, tell them what you're going to do here. Say, say it one more time. <laughs> I said, assistant chap. They all started laughing. He said, son, you're in police academy. I said, oh, no, no, no. There has to be a mistake. So he said, what's your social security number? I gave it to him. He looked at it. He said, son, you are here in police academy. And then he says, you know what? You just stay here. and We'll try to get this thing sorted out. He says, we needed a good laugh today. So he comes back a little bit later and says, we talked to the commander. He says, you stay here uh, this week, finish this week up, and then we're going to switch you. The computer made a mistake. There's a guy by the name of Herbert Johnson. Oh. Herbert is on his way to chaplaincy school, and you're in <laughs> Herbert's spot. <laughs> and they said, this has been the funniest thing ever. And so they laughed. And all I can tell you, that week that I was there, Sean, it, I was like a fish out of water. Yeah, I can imagine. And, 
and this gives you a, a hint of, of how, how out of the water I was there in Police Academy, is that uh, uh, before that week was over with, I got a nickname, and the nickname was Gomer Powell. No. Oh, no. And so, uh, once again, those old enough out there listening, yep. you know. <laughs> I know who Gomer Pyle is. It's not a flattering nickname. Everyone called me Gomer, and they used me for every illustration, everything. It was just a fit. I hadn't, it was just, just absolutely crazy. Now, we've got, we've got, oh, about five minutes, five and a half minutes till we're out of time today. I'm dying to know, how does Gomer Pyle end up at the White House? This is how it all comes together is that uh, at the end of the five weeks, they simply said, excuse me, at the end of the week, they said that um, uh, the commander has made a decision since Herbert's already did a week of his training, you've done a week of yours, you're going to stay right here in police academy or you can go home like you never came here. Oh, no. And I remember thinking that was the lowest time. Like, why would God do this to me? And I talked to my mom, and my mom said, well, Terry, stay there. You know, God has done a miracle. Um, you know, In basic training, you were able to lead some of your friends to Christ and and, you know, maybe God's going to do something that you don't, you know, you're just not expecting. And so um, I had a friend, uh, I had started a literally a Bible study class uh, there in police academy because I had some friends. I had started a Bible study class in basic training. And out of basic training, I had two friends who were in that class that were training to be police officers. So they were there. And I said, Johnson, why don't you just start the class again? And so this time we started using the chapel. And we had this class. And it was amazing. We had around 15 guys would show up, and we would just talk about the Bible every Wednesday night. And, um, and the easiest thing that you'll do in basic training is something that you call qualifying, and that's where they, um, you simply have to shoot a gun straight. They don't even care if you hit the target, no, on, dead <laughs> on, or any of that. Well, to make a long story short, I ended up missing the target. I ended up being put back two weeks. It was just a nightmare. And... And all I can tell you is this, is that um, I remember just thinking, you know, once again, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? This is just not making sense. Well, as a result of being put back two weeks, I happened to be there when the word went out that the president's honor guard at the White House was recruiting, that President Reagan had just had his second inauguration, and the rule is that they have to have 125 guys at all times as part of the Air Force Honor Guard because we do all of the inside stuff at the White House, all right. the bad sure. threats. Um, the president gets off of the airplane. Anything that's full-time, um, we're one of the uh, two. The Marines do the outside, and we do the inside. And so they were short after the inauguration. So since Police Academy, they already start a little bit of your background check. It's a, much, a lot faster to go there recruiting first. So a friend from the Bible study class, he went to try out for it. And, and I remember thinking, his name was Jeff, and I was like, Jeff, if you got selected for the White House, well, maybe what they would do is that you could use your influence to get me out of police academy and get me back to chaplaincy school, get you out of here. And so they thought only 200 people would show up for these auditions. Instead, Sean, 850 oh, people showed up. my goodness. At least that's what they cut it off at 850. And as I walked through the door... And I was walking with Jeff. Jeff signed his name on the form. And I walked by, and the sergeant looked at me and said, hey, hey, son, come back here. You didn't sign your name. I said, well, no, 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 I'm just with my friend Jeff. He says, did you get out of work to come here? I said, yeah, but I'm sign your name like everybody else. So I signed my name on the list. I go sit down with Jeff, and Jeff's laughing. Gomer, man, if they ever saw you march, it'll be over with. And so we're there. I'm praying Jeff gets selected. 
but I have to go through everything. And um, they end up making an announcement at the end of the day. There are 400 people that are cutting off instantly. They know, and they thanked him for coming. Jeff was cut, and I was still there. And then they made another decision the very next day to cut it out another 400 to get it down to 50. Wow. And I was one of the 50 still left. And the word got out all throughout Police Academy that Gomer Powell is in the top 50. <laughs> this is hilarious. <laughs> we can't wait till these guys see him march. And, Sean, they were right because marching was just not my thing. I wish I could blame it on my dyslexia or whatever, but it just was not my thing. And one of the things for sure, I knew I didn't want to go in the honor guard because all the marching and right. stuff you would have to do, that's just you know, not my strength. And so I'm there with the 50 people, and they have us go in this room, and there's, it's lined up with generals and Secret Service agents, and they give you 20 marching movements to do. And as I go in, the very first thing is you stop, you look at the general who's sitting right in front of you, and you say, I'm reporting his order, and you salute. And I salute, and next thing I know, the general is laughing. And I'm thinking, what? I haven't even did anything. And then it dawned on me, Sean, I had the wrong hand Oh, no. Salute so backwards. I put that hand down and put the other one up, and all I can tell you is that they all were laughing so hard that when I left the room, they didn't even notice me leave. Now, we had a young lady by the name of Sherry Heck who was assigned to stand by the door, and as I walked by her, I just simply said, you think I have a chance? Sherry started laughing. She says, we've been doing these all over the country, and that's the worst one I've ever seen. And she dropped to her knees and started hiccuping. She was laughing so hard. <laughs> now, Terry, we've got, like, in trouble. we've got and 90 she, seconds. Here's what I want to know. Are you in? Sean, to make a long story short, I was selected for the president's honor guard. That's unbelievable. I was one of the 12 that they took back to the White House. And to this day, they all say, we were laughing so hard, I don't know what we put on your evaluation. But to make a long story short, I end up being the longest-serving honor guard in honor guard history, served three presidents, Ronald Reagan, George Bush, and Bill Clinton. And to this day, no one has even come close to serving as long as I was able to serve at the White House. And so that's why I tell people, no matter how bad your life may seem, God has a plan for us. How my mom prayed for that little boy that God would have a plan for me, that God has the same thing for all of us. Terry, your, your story moves me deeply, and I, I'm hoping everyone who's listening is paying attention. When life gets dark, it's not the end. Even Jesus faced challenges in his life. There were dark, dark moments. But God, if you stay the course with him, always has something much bigger in mind. Terry, we're at the end of our show. Thank you so much for making time for us, and just been a delight to have you on the air. Oh, Sean, thank you. All right. Hey, folks, that's the end of Disclosure for this week. VOP.com. You can pick up the show notes and hear it again. Dr. Terry Johnson, thanks for joining us this week, and we'll see you soon. 